Hey, I want to encourage you, uh, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, to find Romans chapter 2. If you don't, uh, I want to uh, encourage you to get out your smartphone and uh, find the Bible app. Um, and uh, in the Bible app, we also uh, are set up with uh, the events in there. And so if you, uh, if you have this app, uh, if you're downloading it now, you can go to the More tab, and you'll find events, and it should pop up right there. And it's got sermon notes and some links and different things for you to follow along with us. Um, so, uh, so those are that's a, a really helpful tool. Uh, someone asked me this week about, um, man, I would love it if I could get that in like a paper form, like that could go on the bulletin. And I confessed to them very quickly, the problem with that is me. Because that would mean that I would have to like know what that is well in advance. Uh, and so I'm working on that. I'm working on that. We can, we can work towards that together, always getting better. So, um, hey, I, I want to celebrate one other thing. We, we talked about the painting. Um, there's an amazing ministry. It's, a, it's the 10th year this happened in Shelby County called Shelby Touch Twice. And um, it's an incredible ministry that uh, is housed at First Baptist, but it brings all these churches together. Uh, and it was they, they provide dental care and vision screenings and medical care and food. And several of you helped by bringing food in or maybe even volunteering. And there were 578 people that were uh, blessed and loved on and served yesterday at Shelby Touch Twice. So, yeah, we celebrate that. We celebrate that. Part of the, part of the vision here at Christ Community, right, is, uh, is that we, uh, we would be serving our community. We would be making a difference. Man, like, if we're just here getting together and, and worshiping, like, that's a good thing. But would it make a difference if Christ Community were gone tomorrow, right? Like, would our community notice? And uh, those types of things are things that we feel like are what we're called to do and be in our community. So definitely wanted to, to take some time to celebrate that. Um, if you weren't here with us last week, before we get into reading our passage, we begin a series entitled Not Fair. Not Fair. Um, with the cutest kid's face ever. I'm just going to reference this kid every week because that is an amazing picture. Like, whoever took that, kudos. And uh, we talked about this idea that um, many times there's, there's all kinds of things in our lives, right, that, that don't seem fair. And when we encounter those things, oftentimes we'll write it on a piece of paper or maybe like symbolically, right, like metaphorically. And we'll put it in these bottles and we'll end up writing on these bottles that, that God, you owe me. Like that doesn't seem fair and so God, you, you owe me. And so we're processing together as we read through scripture here in the beginning parts of Romans. What do we do with that? What do we do when things don't seem fair? And so last week we talked about the need to forgive and, uh, and this week, we're going to jump into uh, some more of the particulars about what we do when things don't seem fair uh, as we read through the rest of Romans chapter 2. So, hopefully by this time, you found Romans chapter 2, and we're going to read together beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and then pray for our time in the Word. Paul writes this, All who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So, when Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. 
Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. In other words, if you're one of those people that think you've got this Christian thing figured out, you then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision, like, whoa, whoa, circumcision, whoa, what are we talking about circumcision for? We're going to get to there. It benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an in, uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but who keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it teaches us. We thank you that... Um, Man, you have chosen to reveal yourself uh, day by day, piece by piece. Uh, the, the truth has always been the same, but you reveal it to us as, as you change our, our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so, God, we pray that you would do the same thing with it this morning, that your spirit would teach us, would train us, uh, would circumcise our hearts as we dive into your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there's a lot in that passage, and we're going to try to unpack it, okay? Um, and, and we're going to try to think about what this passage is teaching us on a, a bigger level and really think about how it impacts our lives. So I, uh, many of you know, I'm the, the father of three. We have uh, a seven-year-old, a soon-to-be five-year-old, and a soon-to-be one-year-old. And our one-year-old, uh, her name is Magnolia. And she is in the stage, um, maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't. She is in the stage where she is leaving a wake wherever she goes. Okay? So, I mean, if, if you put her down for anything, like, you just watch the trail of whatever she can get into go. So right now, you're like, you'll put her by the bin of toys, and she stands at the bin of toys, and it's like, boom, boom. Foom, until everything's gone there. And then she walks over to the K-Cups at the coffee station. Foom, foom, foom. And then, you, then she goes over to the laundry basket that you've been, you know, you just folded these laundry. Foom, foom. I mean, it's just a wake wherever she goes. When you put her down, you're going to know where Magnolia goes. And then she does this cute little thing that I wish adults could do. It would be amazing. I call it the straight leg thunder sit. You know what I'm talking about? She's just a little wobbly and she's boom. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could do that as adults? It would be so fun. Um, she, she, like, when she does this, it's so cute because she thinks she's the queen of the world, right? Like, she empties those baskets, she, she makes a mess of everything, and then she looks at you like, oh, yeah, that's right, I just emptied all those, and you're like, hi. And so, you know, we let her go for a while because you can only hold a squirming one-year-old on, you know, still for so long, and once she makes a mess, and you're like, okay, I'm going to clean it up so she can do it again, 
you decide, we decide, and we, we put her in our high chair, and we strap her in, and we begin to assess the damage. It's crazy. It's crazy. She's upset in the moment. You realize that your house is a wreck, and it's like, I don't even know where to begin. And I tell that story, or I, I share that, because I think many times as we think about the things in our lives that we feel like aren't fair, and we talked about some of the things that are in these bottles, right? And when we begin to think about those things, and, and we begin to try and process those things, many times we leave a wake behind us. Another way to say this, right, is hurting people hurt people. When we've bottled something up and said, God, you owe me, this doesn't seem fair, then it's amazing how much damage we begin to do wherever we go. It's almost like you can see where a hurting person is walking in life. You can see the impact on their families. You can see the impact on the people that, that maybe used to be friends. And it's, we, we just leave a wake, right? When we're hurting and when things don't seem fair, we, we leave a wake. Our hearts are hurting, and we become like toddlers who destroy everything in our sight. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But I think for many of us, this, this is true. And, and you see, what's happening is that, that in, in when we do that, we're judging people from the start without, without ever peeling back the heart. Have you done this? You feel like something's not fair. You are in a situation and all of a sudden, in that moment, when your heart is hurting, it really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You're just going to judge them. Like, like, just don't get in my way. Don't talk to me. Because pretty much whatever you say right now is not going to be the right thing to say. And so we just begin to judge people from the start. We don't ever consider where they are in their circumstances. We don't peel back the heart or the motive of why they've done that. And, and what we have to realize from the beginning, right, is that that's not fair. That's not fair. So this scenario, right, where we begin to leave awake and judge people without peeling back their hearts, that's the exact scenario that Paul is speaking to and writing to between the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome, okay? The Jews and the Gentiles in Rome, they, they had become believers, and so they had that in common. These, Paul is writing to believers, right? So, so we know that they, they both believed, this group that he's writing to, they both believed in Jesus, but they also had these things in their past that made them unique. So if you can kind of picture it, this is like Paul sitting down the two fighting brothers, the Jews and the Gentiles, and trying to hash this out, right? If you've ever had two fighting brothers and you're trying to figure it out. This is a mess, right? And so Paul is essentially looking at them in this passage, and he's saying, he speaks first to the Gentiles. And he's like, to these Gentiles, you guys are trying to say that, well, we never had the law. We, let's not talk about sin, we, because we never had the law. We can kind of do whatever we want. It's those judgmental Jews over there. They're the problem, right? And then, you know, you flip sides, and the Jews are like, well, we do have the law. And we know what's best. And so those guys, they're just messy sinners over there. And so you have these two groups that are, that are competing and fighting. And, and Paul is, is kind of sitting back, and he's trying to help both of them see that you guys are hurting the other one because you're hurt. You're fighting because you don't want to talk about your mess. You'd rather judge them for theirs. 
And so he spends the first part of this passage talking to the Gentiles and saying, hey, wake up, realize this. And then he says to the Jews, hey, if you're going to pretend to be like the people who've got it all together with the law, then have you considered, have you taught yourselves? Have you considered these things? The Gentiles are trying to avoid any talk of sin because they weren't given the law, and the Jews are using the law as a weapon to judge the Gentiles. Both are trying to avoid what's really going on in their lives while using the other to justify their position. We do this, right? If we, we, we tell ourselves that if we'll just focus on the deficiencies of others, we'll feel better about ourselves and everything will end up okay. Verse 15 Verse 15, is, it, it presents something that is compelling. Paul says, they show that the work of their law is written on their hearts. And then he says, their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. Right? Their competing thoughts. He's saying, listen, when you guys peel it back and you quit fighting for just a moment, when you quit crying, it's not fair for just a moment, you're going to realize that internally there's this dialogue going that says, maybe I'm not thinking correctly about this. My competing thoughts are either excusing or accusing me. And so the question becomes, are there areas in our lives, are there areas in, in our culture and in our world where our competing thoughts end up harming our relationship with the Lord? Are there things where we've just decided to take a position or a stand? Are there items and, and issues where we would rather be right about the issue than consider what impact that has on our relationship with the Lord. I think there are. <laughs> I think we all think there are. So let me very carefully dive into some big ones to just maybe get us thinking a bit. We see it in race, right? Recent race conversations have continued to uncover the, the ghastly unfair beginning that minorities had in America. But as that's uncovered, many in the majority white culture continue to downplay the impact of our culture on minority culture today. While on the other hand, there are those in the minority culture who hold an unpayable debt over the head of any person from the majority culture. Both sides screaming at one another, it's not fair. Both sides avoiding what's really happening in their lives while using the other to justify their position. Jews, Gentiles. The LGBT conversation is an all-time high in America. Never before have Americans had to think so deeply about human sexuality. Many are unwilling to talk about same-sex attraction as a real human emotion. They can't really feel that way. Some are completely given to the human spirit, and they, they place no limits on sexuality. Others stand with core conviction of people being created male and female, and and created to complement one another. And many would even argue that it doesn't seem fair that God would create men and women that would one day wrestle with same-sex attraction. How could that be fair? And the difficulty of the conversation leaves both sides pointing at one another, internally thinking it's not fair, judging people from the start without peeling back the heart. I don't say any of those issues or things as, as I don't stand on one side, right? but instead to help us to see that so many of these things end up in the same type of conversations we see between the Jews and the Gentiles. There's clearly wrong on both sides, and yet we would rather judge and push down the other 
then consider how it's impacting our walk and relationship with the Lord. It's not just these big things, it's everyday things too. Different parenting styles. Do we vaccinate or do we not vaccinate? Do we spank or do we not spank? Breastfeed or bottle feed? Give your kids electronics with limits, don't give them electronics at all. Public school, private school, homeschool, date, don't date, social media, no social media. Each conversation carrying the potential to create dividing lines that run far deeper than the conversations themselves. And then, it's beautiful, or not, when kids enhance it by comparing their experience to their friends and reminding you, the parent, Dad, that's not fair. With each conversation, we label and judge before peeling back the heart of a person. You see, what I'm trying to get us to understand and see and identify with is that here's a conversation generations ago between Jew and Gentile that has evolved into a conversation about race, about sexual orientation, and, and more. And it's now evolving into a conversation about how real our digital lives are. This is like the next step. Augmented reality is the first step towards what experts are calling the mirror world, in which people can essentially exist in whatever reality they would choose. And it begins to beg the question, what does it even mean to be human? Right? What does it mean to be human? What will be fair in that world if we can choose our reality? An article in the Huffington Post uh, identified 11 things that we fake in our social media lives. Get ready. Our appearance, duh, there's filters. Relationships, every marriage is great on date night. Just saying, partying, every party is great when you take the picture at the beginning of the party, but they don't show the end where somebody's in the bathroom. Traveling, you take the picture with the sunset, but you don't take a picture of two-hour wait at the airport. Food, food on social media, really? And yet we fake that. It's like, look at this plating. This plating is gorgeous. We fake our diets. Fitness. Babies and pets. We fake our coolness. Fake our clothing. We fake perfection. The author, I don't know what her status is, if she's a believer or if she's not a believer. But one that I would suggest to add to the list would be our spirituality. <laughs> we fake our spirituality on social media, right? If I post a verse every morning, they're going to think I'm a really good Christian. <laughs> doesn't matter what else I do the rest of the day. You see, there's a lot of areas in our lives where we're being forced to consider, what does it mean to be human? What is fair? And it's a really scary thing. And so even now, our temptation is to think about one of these things, whether it's this upcoming um, alternate world or whether it's race or uh, whether it's a conversation about sexuality. It's, our temptation is to think about one of these things and discuss the negatives of the side that we disagree with the most and how it's not fair. And in reality, these only serve as reminders that the further we get from the heart, the more likely we, more likely we are to feel like things aren't fair. 
in reality, it's a reminder that, that we're isolating our hearts. And the more likely we, we are to feel like life isn't fair when we do that. And all of this, all of this begins to put a really great pressure on our hearts. It puts a really great pressure on our hearts. And once we're there, we will begin to point the finger at anyone else to justify our feelings. We just want relief for our heart, right? We will leave a wake behind us. We will hurt anyone else to try and give some comfort to our hearts. And so Paul is writing, this passage becomes so relevant, right? Paul is writing to both Jews and Gentiles in a way that neutralizes both. In a sense, he's saying, listen, are you guys finished trying to figure out who has it worse? Are you guys done with that? Are we done arguing about the petty things? Are you done shouting that it's not fair at one another? And he's reminding us that what isn't fair is putting up a front that our world is good while judging everyone else's fronts. That's a lot. Causes us to consider the condition of our hearts. So the question becomes, how is God good and fair in this world where nothing seems completely fair? When we're really honest. God is good in this. That you don't have to play the part. You don't have to play the part. Whatever the part is, whatever side you're supposed to be on, you don't have to play the part because God peels back your heart. God sees through all of those fronts. He sees through all of those things, and he sees you for who you are. Paul refutes their logic, right? Their logic is that my position is the right one. And he begins in verse 26. And he says, So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? So, so he's saying, first of all, right, okay, if you're circumcised and you follow the law, obviously that's a, that's a good thing. That, that that's, comes from this. But he says, even if you're not circumcised and you follow the law, that makes you like you're circumcised, right? So they're like, well, I guess that's kind of, that kind of makes sense. And then he says, but if you're circumcised, if you're a Jew and you're circumcised and you're not following the law, then that kind of makes you like you're uncircumcised. And so he's neutralizing them, right? And his point in all of this is to remind them that nobody can keep the law. Nobody can keep the law. We are all in trouble. And the point of me sharing those things that I did just a moment ago was to help us see the same thing. That no matter what the issues are, there's going to be things, there's going to be judgment that we have. We're all in trouble. We can't keep the law. We can't do good enough to fix our broken hearts. So what's needed? Circumcision of the heart. He writes in verse 29, On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. What's that mean? He says, we're not literally going to cut you open and take your heart out. But this is something that only God can do. Only God can circumcise your heart, can peel the layers back and get to the heart of who you truly are. I don't know um, what your experience with your parents was, but one of my parents' favorite phrases growing up, they would look at me with a stern eye and say, cut it out. I knew what that meant. When they said cut it out, that meant whatever I was doing in that moment, 
I was to stop. But maybe you've been on my side of it, and when somebody looks at you and says, cut it out, you may stop what you're doing, but inside you want to keep doing it. Right? That's the difference. Paul is looking at them and saying, listen, what's going on in your heart, all those negative feelings you're having, all those ways that you want to judge and push others down, you need to cut it out. You need to cut it out. But you need to know that you can't literally do that, right? Like, you need to cut it out. So how does this happen? Cutting it out doesn't mean that your heart has been cut, right? If I just stop the action in that moment, that may be what my parents wanted, but that what they really wanted was my heart to change. They wanted my heart to be cut by the truth of the Lord. So how does that happen? What does that look like? What do we know about our hearts? We know about our hearts that they're really, really, really complicated. And I want you to, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go on a little journey through the book of Proverbs quickly to learn some things about our heart. And I hope as we think about this journey to the depths of our heart, that it's going to help us to understand how we can deal with these things that don't seem fair. The first is this. We learn that our heart is impacted by our physical bodies. Like, well, duh. Well, duh. All right, so Proverbs 18.14. Proverbs 18.14 says this. A person's spirit can endure sickness, but who can survive a broken spirit? A person's spirit can endure sickness, but who can survive a broken spirit? What's this proverb saying? Look at it again. Here's, here's what it's saying. There is nothing more important than maintaining your inner being. When it says a man's spirit sustains him, right? But a, a crushed spirit, who can bear? Here's what it's saying. A broken body can be sustained with difficulty by a strong spirit. Right? When you are physically hurting, the spirit inside of you can sustain you. But the opposite is not always true. A crushed or broken spirit can't be sustained or carried by the strongest body of all. It can't. And so we see that there's a, there's a relationship there. And so we understand that the way that we feel physically impacts our heart. That's, that's the first thing that we understand. But we also have to understand that our heart is impacted by the relationships that we have, the people that we're around. Proverbs 12.25. Proverbs 12.25 says this. Ugh. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down. Amen. But a good word cheers it up. You see, we need the people that we are in relationship with to, to speak an encouraging word to us. We need that. We need encouraging words from others to press on. And so we see that our hearts are impacted by our physical bodies. We're, they're impacted by our relationships. And, and we also see in Scripture that our heart is impacted by our morals, like what we believe. And so oftentimes, the, the thing that really is pushing our hearts away from the Lord is the guilt that we have from not being able to do what we believe to be the right thing. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Isn't that an interesting concept? That when we know inside of ourselves, apart from anything else, that what we're doing is wrong or wicked, we like to run away. We like to hide. We like to keep ourselves isolated and away from the Lord. But the righteous, we're bold. We're bold. And so we see even our own morals are, are weighing on our hearts. So what is it about these hearts? How do, we, how do we get to who we really are? How do we understand the depths of our hearts? 
Well, the, the reality is that our heart is best known uh, not by us, but by God. We may know our heart better than someone else. In fact, that's true. But only God knows the deepest parts. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no outsider shares in its joy. In other words, even when I'm at my highest and my happiest, no one else can feel the, the same depth of joy that I'm feeling. But, in Proverbs 16.2, it's countered with this, right? All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. This is what it means when it says God circumcised our hearts. Only he can peel it all the way back and help us to understand who we truly are. Only he. We know that all the things that we're experiencing in this world, uh, how we feel physically. Matt Simons told me this when he came out and played basketball. He's like, bro, I just got to tell you, my knees are messed up, and they are still messed up from playing basketball last Sunday, right? And that, 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 that affects how he feels. That affects his heart. We know that our relationships, man, like how our marriage went this week is impacting how we feel this morning. We know that that's true. We know that our morals affect our hearts. We know that, you know, if we feel like we had a good week with the Lord, it feels different than if we had a bad one. And we know that deep down, as we're sitting in our chairs this morning, we know what's going on in our hearts better than anybody else in the room. But the only one who has the power to change it, the only one who sees all the way to the core of your heart, is the one who made you. And that is a great grace. It's a great grace to know that our hearts are in the hands of a creator God that loves you, loves you immensely. Ezekiel 36, 26 shares the hope we have in knowing that God has our hearts. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And maybe today you're like, well, that sounds great, but I still feel terrible. Then we have the hope of Psalm 147.3, where the Lord says he heals the brokenhearted, and he bandages their wounds. Isn't it, like, it's freeing. There's this great freedom in knowing that, man, all the, the hurt and the heartache and the, the hard things that I'm going through, the, the emotions, the times that I feel like are not fair, it's great to know that somewhere deep down under all of that, the creator of the universe knows my heart. He knows it even better than I know it myself. And here's what it gives you the freedom to do. Stop putting on the act so that you can put love into action. You see, when, when you realize that the creator of the universe knows your heart at its very core and its very depth, you don't have to put on the facades anymore. You don't have to be a certain way or say a certain thing. You have to only be who he created you to be. You see, church, if we worried as much about loving people as we do about whether or not those people like us, our community would look different in a week. If we worried as much about loving people as we do about whether or not they like us, our community will look different in a week. I want you to try and put yourself in the room with Paul and the Jews and the Gentiles for just a moment. Can you imagine the conversation between the Jews and the Gentiles after reading this letter from Paul? It's like those sheepish, I'm sorry's. Sorry, guys. This is kind of silly. We did come together and say we believe in Jesus. I guess it's not such a big deal. Grace and forgiveness abounds. 
listen to these lyrics from a popular song and see if you can complete the song. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. And then it says, but now they know. Hey, let it go. Let it go. You see, when it, it, like, we know from the story, right? Froze, like, Disney got this one right, guys. The answer wasn't to hide. The answer was to love. It's like we know this is true, but we still want to conceal and hide and go build our ice castle on the mountain. Right? Stop putting on the act so that you can put love into action. Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The prophet Joel uh, calls the people to this really amazing call to action. I, I just love this verse. He says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart. Just turn to me with all your heart. With fasting, weeping, and mourning. You see all the different emotions that are going on there, right? Like, I understand there's a lot of feelings and emotions going on in your heart, but would just turn to me with all that heart? Tear your hearts. Tear them. Be transparent. Put yourself out there before the Lord. Not just your clothes, that was how they mourned, right? And return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. You see, in all these things that don't seem like they're fair, we have a tendency to start judging people and pushing other people down so that we feel better about ourselves. And what we're doing is we're actually delaying the healing that the Lord wants to bring. I want to give us two specific action points, and then I want to close by sharing one story that Jesus told. The first is this. For many of us, when we start talking about transparency and stop putting on the fronts, there, there then is entwined with it a, a conversation about being in real, genuine, authentic community with people. So Ben Henry is a member here at Christ Community. He's uh, way smarter than me. And he uh, did this poll of people, and it was really interesting. I've got the results from one of the questions. It says, which statement is most true for you? He sent out this poll. And uh, I don't know if you can read all the, the things at the bottom, but it's about this idea of wanting to be in community and what level you want to be in community in, all right? And so to, to shortcut it a little bit, 86% of the people that he polled want to be engaged with a community of people. They, they want to be more known. They want to be more transparent with people. 78% wanted to contribute to that community, right? Like they, they want to be a helpful part of it. And so what this tells us is that you are wired to do this. You are wired to stop putting up the act, to be in community with one another, to, to truly be known. But you struggle to give up the conveniences it requires to do so. Right? Community's hard. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes giving up things. And you can only act like you're involved in a community for so long. And eventually, the isolation will consume you. Eventually, your heart will become rotten about it. Eventually, the false front will go up in flames. I would encourage you to think about convenience and community on a continuum, right? 
you can place yourself somewhere in that continuum. And for many of us, right, we're going to choose convenience over community. We're going to be a little closer to whatever is convenient for me, as opposed to knowing that I'm going to have to give up some of those conveniences to be truly known and transparent in community. Stop acting like you get transparent community through all the people you see throughout a week in your hectic schedule. That's not real. Social media is not real. And when you stop putting on that front, then you're going to start loving others well. You're going to start seeing them for who they really are. Here's your action point, your jumping off point. Next week and throughout this week, you're going to start hearing about uh, community groups that are going with our next sermon series in April and May called Dead Man Walking. Uh, it's not up there live yet, but it will be uh, a link to sign up for one of those groups at loveshellville.com slash community groups. These groups are going to go for six to eight weeks, right? Just the April and May while we go through the series. I'm going to challenge you, right? It's not going to be convenient to be in a community group. You're going to have to give up something that's convenient to, to be in community, to be transparent, to stop putting on the front that you've got life figured out. You don't really need anybody else's help. Give it up. Stop putting on the act so that you can put your love into action. Another area that I think we really need to address, we're going to talk about transparency, is marriage. Several of you, um, a couple weeks ago, we're getting ready to launch uh, an uh, an equip class for marriages in April as well on Sunday nights. You can sign up at loveshaville.com slash equip. A couple of weeks ago, we launched that initiative by having a panel up here, and we asked several of you to participate in a survey. And it was really interesting to me. Uh, there was one question, basically, on the survey. What, like, what, what do marriages need most, right? Like, what's the biggest struggle? 50% of the answers came back to communication and transparency. Like, I can't be real in my marriage, is, is like what that's saying, right? I thought I could. I love this person, but I can't be. I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how to be honest and real in my marriage. Satan wants to keep us from working on the areas he knows are weighing on us, right? He wants, he wants to cut people. He wants to do that. So if that's you, right? Maybe it's not you. Like, maybe you're just realizing you sit here like, I've, 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 like, we're partners in our marriage, but we're not transparent in our marriage. I struggle to communicate with my wife or with my husband about how I really feel. Come on, loveshowville.com slash equip. Sign up limited spots. In the end, I want you to stop acting like your marriage is just going to always work because that's what marriages do. When you stop acting that way, when you stop putting that front up, you can really start loving each other well. When you do that, you can start loving your kids well. and Maybe you can even love your neighbors well too. But if there's not transparency in your marriage relationship where God has taken two and made them one and asked you to be in covenant with one another, if you can't do that, if you can't be transparent there, you're going to be struggling be transparent in all of your other relationships. Stop putting on the act so you can put love into action. Like, Blake, this is, like, that's a great challenge. But I just don't see myself being more transparent with people. I'm pretty reserved. Or maybe you're like, Blake, I don't think you really want me to be transparent because if I were going to be transparent right now with others, I'm leaving a big wake. Because life ain't fair. And to those two responses, here's what I would say. It might be because you haven't been transparent with God. 
right? At the core of who you are, the core of your heart, you've not been transparent with God. He sees you. He knows. But you haven't been transparent with him. You've continued to try to put up the act with God himself. But you're okay. You got this. It's all going to work out. saw a tweet this week. It said, religion says this, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Right? That's the heart of like, I, there's something wrong and I'm afraid I'm going to be in trouble for this one. Those are the people who come to me and they're like, pastor, I just want you to know I'm, I'm kind of messed up. But grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, It's the thing that says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. I got to get in touch with him because I know he knows at the core who I really am. He understands what's really going on deep inside of my heart. I know there's something messed up inside of me. Father, I need you. I want to be transparent. I want to lay this down. Circumcise my heart, God. Peel it back. Help me to see. Help me to understand. It reminds me of a bike wreck that I had when I was about eight years old. I was at a 4-H fair showing goats. A little sneak peek into who I am, transparency, right? And we had a break, and I was riding my bike. It was really muddy. Hit a mud puddle, thinking it's going to be awesome. That puddle was like a crater in the earth. So I crashed into this mud puddle. There's still a scar on my knee. It was bad, okay, guys? really bad. I'm bleeding. There's mud all over me. I'm crying. And in that moment, I wanted nothing more than for my mom to fix it. Like, make my knee better. Of course, she's a great mom, so she's coming, she's rushing, helping. But then as soon as she touches, no, don't touch my knee. It hurts, mom. Don't touch my knee. She's like, sweetie, how am I going to fix your knee if you won't let me touch your knee? It's a good point. How many of us want our Father in Heaven to fix all the things in our life that aren't fair? Father, fix all these things that don't seem fair. Well, okay, let, let me see. No! You can't see. You can't touch it. Hmm. And what do you want me to do? We have to be transparent before God. When we are, this beautiful thing happens. Luke chapter 7, the last story from Jesus, it reminds us of his incredibly gracious love. Jesus had been invited to the home of a Pharisee to eat dinner. So he goes. He's sitting at the table. Pick it up in verse 37 and just read it. It's so, so beautifully written. It says, he was there, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. Can you picture it? This woman, broken, clearly, she's crying. She knows nothing else to do than to be in the presence of Jesus. 
And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) It's a scary thing. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. You judge correctly, he told him. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she loved much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. You see, when we will stop putting on the act, not just in our lives and our relationships, but with God himself, when we will place ourselves at the feet of Jesus, as this woman did, knowing that she was broken, that she was a sinner, that she was messed up, she had no business in their society being in this place at the table. When we will put ourselves in that spot, transparent before the Lord, He forgives much. And when he has forgiven us much, we are able to love much. And not only that, we get to go in peace. So church, sit at the feet of Jesus. Weep over your sin. Weep over your brokenness. Weep over the things that don't seem fair. But in the midst of the weeping, worship him. Worship him. He will forgive, and you will go in peace. Stop putting on the act so that you can put love into action. Let's pray. Father, as we said over and over again, you know each heart in this room more intimately, more deeply than any one of us do, even our own. And so, Father, I pray that you would circumcise hearts, change out old hearts for new, remind us of the forgiveness that we have in your son Jesus. Give us grace to trust you more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.